Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. And if you would, go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave a rating and review. That five-star review will help us reach a wider audience. So thank you very much. Previous guests on the show have included JT Thomas, Onia Okawabi, and George Yancey. You can go back, listen to those episodes, and more. But today's guest is Michelle Ferrigno-Warren. Michelle is president and CEO of Verigo Strategies, a consulting group that provides strategic direction and project management for civic engagement campaigns alongside communities impacted by racial and economic injustice. Michelle's latest book is Join the Resistance, Step into the Good Work of Kingdom Justice. We have a great conversation around our role as outsiders with communities on the margins. What is our posture? Why should we engage? How can we partner with God? It's a really important conversation that I know you're going to enjoy, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. It is very rich, and it has lots of depth. So enjoy my conversation with Michelle Ferrigno-Warren. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for joining the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you so much. Good morning. Yeah. um, I'd love to hear your story of how you actually got into some the practicals of justice work, kingdom justice work, uh, and not just talking about it, not just saying that, hey, we should be engaged, but actually doing the work and getting engaged. How did you get involved? Let me just say this. 30 years ago, if you had told me that was what my life was going to look like and that I would be this social justice advocate alongside communities impacted by economic and racial injustice, I would have said that's a lot of words I don't even understand. <laughs> um, and so I was going to say, this is not my goal. This was not something that I'm like, man, I am setting out to be this person, to make a difference in the world this way, et cetera. It was, it was a series of intentional steps. Um, when you see brokenness, you know, we as Christians, as agents of salt and light in the world are told that we're supposed to follow Christ. You said, I'm here for sick people, you know, and that sick wasn't just physical illness. And so just as a follower of Christ from a very young age, really caring about his word and John 17, and just for some reason, that was just a chapter that I stayed at a lot as a teenager and just wept over the pain and the brokenness that I saw. And 
I was in a homogenous community. So you you take all of that. I want to follow Christ. I love his word. I want to be an agent of reconciliation and peace. When you make intentional choices like I did, I married my college sweetheart. We we married right after college and moved into a community that was African-American. it was actually Section 8 housing. We didn't have that, the vouchers, but, you know, we were the only white people. I was the only married woman. And, you know, it was just this beginning of life. I, I taught in the local middle schools and wanting to love my neighbor as myself. And I thought I knew what that looked like, but it wasn't really until my neighbors loved me that I could begin to practice it. So sometimes it's because I'm 22 and 23 and I'd never (laughs) been a neighbor, you know, in in proximity outside of, you know, college and my parents, but a series of those kinds of choices. So, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm seeing inequities, I'm understanding how I, you know, was brought up and the opportunities that I had, I was seeing just a lot of disconnection and brokenness Mm -hmm. in the community that I was living in and working in. And so it just put a a lot of unique steps. It wasn't like I was was looking at issues like poverty, racism, education and inequities, lack of access to healthcare, teen pregnancy. I mean, I was seeing all that, but I wasn't thinking about it in light of issues. All of those things that I mentioned were people in my community that I was growing to love and that loved me. And so when you're walking in community with people you care about, you're responding to everything, whether it's, hey, you're having a baby shower, I'm coming, to you don't have adequate health care and you're going to lose your house because your mom had to have you know something removed because and you don't have health insurance. So, so it's not, like I said, I wasn't looking for social justice issues. I was living in a community that was screaming injustice and Mm -hmm. we were all working in individual ways on how to help each other and restore one another. Had I not come from a different community, I wouldn't have really understood that there was a, not just a communal inequity, but there was also that systemic. So yeah, I didn't have any of that language, all Mm -hmm. those different steps and it'll come out more in this podcast, but you know, my life story (laughs) is, is pretty long and different, but I do want to emphasize that it's not about issues for me Mm. and it never has been. It's been 30 years of working, worshiping and living alongside people where a system literally wrote them out Mm. and, and is very hesitant to write them in. Mm. I think that's a that's a good place to jump in. Where if it's not about issues and different social issues, which I think a lot of when we see justice or social justice these days, we think, hey, there's one issue on the table. Let's engage or let's put up a something on our uh, Instagram profile picture, mm-hmm. and then hey, we've done our work uh, and we've made people aware that there's an issue at hand. Uh, it seems that the kingdom of God itself is is very holistic, uh, that mm-hmm. there, it is a whole place where the reign and rule of God exists. Um, and so it's not just one issue oriented. It's uh, it's he's God is concerned about the whole person and the whole place uh, and that we are under his reign and rule. And that actually is not just individual, but it's communal. Um, and whole society. So what is that difference of kingdom justice and then just social justice issues? So there's a lot to even unpack in some of what you were sharing. First of all, I I mean, we should probably at some point in the podcast talk about social media and the role of social media and commenting on issues and 
whether or not that is even helpful. So kingdom justice, the reason I used kingdom justice is I want it in the book. So the book is called, I just wrote a, a book. It's called Join the Resistance, Step into the Good Work of Kingdom Justice. And there's a couple of reasons I chose the words that I did. One, yeah. you don't fall into the work of repair. You intentionally step into it. Mm-hmm. And they're brave and they're brave steps because resistance is you're, you're pushing against the status quo. Kingdom justice, I intentionally use that word because justice, just in general, is a biblical word. Yeah. If we're theologians and we understand the heart of God, we know that the psalmist was not mistaken in metaphorically saying that the foundations of God's throne are righteousness and justice, that the essence of who God is, is those Hebrew words, mishpat and tzedakah. So mishpat is the word for justice, and it isn't just a punitive consequences. I know for me, that's what I thought justice was, but justice is about a holistic restoration. It's not okay if me and my family do well, if you and your family don't do well. So first of all, it ties the health of the whole to, to to the word justice, but it's all about restoration. And when you think of the word of restoration and the work of restoration, it isn't just a punitive consequences. There's a part of that, you know, life has consequences. Even if we don't give them, they have consequences. But also we create opportunities because sometimes injustice has happened and people are finding themselves in the results and consequences of things that were not of their own doing, you know. And so and so you have to live in this open I, I often use the the word of a, like an example of a pendulum. Yeah. And a pendulum kind of uh, the justice justice moves a little bit back and forth between opportunities of restoration as well as, you know, the consequences of and how we are restored both individually and societally to a productive place. Mm-hmm. And so that's mishpat and that is the word that is what justice is. And yeah. and when you look at the disconnection in that happened in Genesis 3 with the original sin and all the consequences as a result of that sin and the brokenness and the disconnection, it sets a stage for the work of Christ. Both, you know, the you know as far as the prophets telling about it and people waiting his fulfillment of coming and saying the kingdom is here and the work that he actively invites us to do is all about restoration of that brokenness. It's about peacemaking. And so it's important for us not to throw the word justice away because of the roots to God's heart and to the work of Christ. His is a justice. Christ was satisfying. I'll kind of use a King James version, the wrath of God, right? He was our righteousness. He was our justice. And so in the Old Testament, you see a distinction between the words justice and righteousness, the mishpat and the tzedakah. And tzedakah is the Hebrew word for righteousness. And in order to be, you know, you, your righteous acts become justice. It's mm-hmm. this holistic picture. It's not just about individual piety. I mean, that's sort of expected. Yeah. But when we practice tzedakah, it actually becomes justice. And it's this cycle that you can't have one without the other. And when you get into the New Testament, those words are interchangeable. The Greek word for mm-hmm. justice is also the Greek word for righteousness. So we mm-hmm. cannot have visceral respect responses to the word justice. And so when I put the word kingdom is it was almost, it was, there's a couple of reasons is one is I'm talking about the kingdom. I'm talking about the stage that God set from, you know, the beginning of time when everything that was created good and functioning and beautiful became broken and how Christ, this amazing God, man, you know, and the work that he did restores 
what's been broken and we join that we can't we can't say well i'll take jesus but i don't want justice you can't have that <laughs> yep. that's the kingdom work it's the long work of restoration and so i i really intentionally chose that word one because there seems to be a visceral response to a word that so adequately discussed i mean that describes the holistic nature of the bible and god's work and mm. christ's work in the world um and then also i did want to set it apart that this is about peacemaking this is about peacemaking and there you can't have peace if the status quo continues because so many people are written out to of it and so i wanted us to understand that there is resistance work that we need to do that we aren't peacekeepers and when we embrace kingdom justice and and that that futuristic mind of living your life by faith yeah. and, and knowing that I believe that God is going to restore, even if I can't see it in my lifetime, mm -hmm. I am going to set a vision of what can be. I'm going to walk towards it with faith and I'm not going to worry if I'm going to be disappointed that I'm doing a kingdom work and it's a long work and it's a good work and it's the work of Christ in the world. Mm. So then what is that difference then of peacemaking and peacekeeping? <laughs> yeah. So peacekeeping, I mean, that's what I was trained to be. I mean, I'm a white woman from the suburbs, you know, I was taught to be afraid and not rock the boat. So, I mean, Thanksgiving is coming up. I know all about that, making sure everybody's happy and all the politics behind the scene to, to give this illusion of we're all getting along. And, you know, so, so peacekeeping is maintaining the status quo. Mm. It is an illusion of we're not at war with each other. Okay, well, that's because people have been subjugated or oppressed or, you know, kept out so their voices aren't heard or their voices are minimized or not legitimized. You know, that's 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 the illusion of peace. So peacekeepers are pretty happy, you know, with with the way things are, you know, and are just working to try to maintain the peace, um, their peace. Peacemaking is recognizing that what we see is limited and that the body of Christ and that the world is big and that it is our job to open our eyes and ears to what's going on and be honest about it and work towards its repair. I don't know about you. I mean, it's not very, I mean, I don't see it all the time, but I've seen it a lot on Facebook over the years. And I remember as a kid, even growing up in community and teenage and high school and even college, it wasn't uncommon to have sort of the picture of the three individuals Mm -hmm. That one would cover their eyes, one would cover their ears, one would cover their mouth. And I would say peacekeeping is saying, I want to see no evil. I want to mm. hear no evil. I want to speak no evil. What I think peacemaking mm. is, is the willingness to say, I, re I refuse to not see. I mean, like I'm going to see the real root of everything. I'm not going to be afraid of it. I, the truth is going to set me free. So I'm going to be honest with what I see. I'm not going to be overcome by the cries and the desperation and really what in essence is evil. Um, and I'm not saying people who are crying are evil, but they're crying because, and they're crying out. It's interesting that the Psalms also says, and that, I'm sorry, Proverbs says, you know, that wisdom cries out in the streets. How often do we actually listen to the voices? Like we kind of have our names for, oh, you're, you, we're not listen. You know, we don't want to listen to you. you. Want to keep your voice quiet out in those streets? You know, kind of come inside, keep your mouth shut. Let's keep the status quo in play. But you know, will we be have the courage to open up our ears to to the real cries, and and ask questions? Why am I seeing what I see? Why am I hearing what I'm hearing? And and when you open your eyes wide and your ears, it is so grievous and it leads you to deep, deep, deep lament, mm -hmm. lament for the humanity and brokenness of the world. And I think that's really step one 
And maybe that's step two in peacemaking. The first is being honest. And then the second is joining in the suffering and then staying present with those who suffer and work together Mm. towards its repair. And that's what speaking is. That is saying, I have the courage to say what I'm seeing is real. Mm. And I know that it hurts for you to hear that. And you're taking, you know, you're kind of a little fragile about it. You're kind of irritated by what I'm saying. I know, and I'm not trying to say this to be cruel, but we cannot continue to feed a lie that, you know, I think Martin Luther King Jr quote that is peace is not the absence of tension it's the presence of justice and so we spent all of our energy right now if we spent all of our peacekeeping energy towards ushering the presence of justice the holistic repair of people and places and communities we would have what we long for yeah yeah and that also, in, you know, in Proverbs, it says where the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And so mm-hmm. for when you're talking about righteousness and justice being the same in the Greek, we're looking about where the right living, right relationships happen and prosper. We're actually seeing the streets where she say mm-hmm. where the lament was and where the, the cries were that they are now rejoicing, that there is now joy in the streets. There's the streets are set to dancing. Um, and so for for me, as somebody that can be outside of a marginalized community, if I see injustice happening, um, if I want to speak it out, uh, if I want to hear that there is something wrong that is broken, that needs to be restored, that needs to be redeemed, how do I, as somebody from outside of that community, step into that work in a way that's healthy, in a way that actually moves it forward and doesn't cause harm? I just want to say thank you for even asking that question. You know, um, awareness is a good thing, but we can't stop at awareness. And so what you're asking is, you know, what do I do with what I now know? And I... I will tell you that I did write a couple books for that very reason, because you can't fix problems you don't understand. And that's part of it. You know, my, my first book was called The Power of Proximity, Moving Beyond Awareness to Action. And the very first sentence I wrote was something like this. When you wake up in the morning and the system works for you, you think it's a good system. And so when you talk about awareness, you're beginning to realize, wait, wait a second, maybe this system isn't so good. And so you're, you're waking up and some people, it, you know, I've actually talked with a, a woman who was a really well-known um, Lifeway Bible study leader and author. And she woke up, you know, only five years ago, she's in her fifties and just the grief and lament, like, how did I not see it? And I, I would say, just be grateful that God opened your eyes when he did. And we're responsible for what he wakes us up to and how can we lean in? So how do we, you asked, how do we move to an action that yeah. is in both solidarity and is redemptive. And so again, like I said, you can't fix a problem you don't understand, but you're never going to understand it unless you become proximate. And so moving towards what's happening and not staying stuck is really, really important because when you move towards it, you actually get the real education. The thing is, is that, you know, the front frontline view is the best seats in the house, right? If you think mm-hmm. about the fun stuff, I mean, you want to be right up front. 
if God's opening your eyes to things, you want to be right up front, not to demand attention. This isn't about you. And I don't want you to push people on, you know, out of the way to get there. And I talk a little bit about that in my, in my second book, Join the Resistance, but you want to get as close to it, not because you're observing it like a museum or a zoo, but you're trying to transition from it being an issue to people who are impacted. I, I am a professor, an adjunct professor at Denver Seminary. And a little over a decade ago, I started teaching a course called Political Advocacy, Doing Justice in the Public Square. And I, it was a great class. It was very fun to see pastors, you know, wanting to be trained in the work of political advocacy. And, you know, I mean, it's being the rabble rouser kind of person, you know, I'm yeah. just not the stodgy, normal academic. You know, I, I remember going in and and I just the energy in that room the very first day was just palpable. They were so excited. It's like, I'm going to go fight injustice. And so I had three questions I would ask on the first First day every day. And the first one was, what issue of injustice do you care so much about that you would take time to take this class? And I was like, you don't have to write one, you know, and they, I mean, you can tell an energy. I didn't ask any answers. The energy as they were writing was just vigorous. Like, this is finally, I'm going to get the skills I need to, you know, fight for justice. And then I would ask the second question, which is how long do you plan on working on it? Yeah. You know, and the room would begin to deflate a little bit because they had to write something down and it was their own honesty. Like I was never going to look at it. Their neighbor wasn't. But justice isn't something you're like, man, I, I see and I'm aware. So I'm going to give the next three to five years on this justice issue. I might switch to the next one and I'm going to do a lot of good work. And I'm not saying that three to five years of investment isn't good work. Don't hear me in that. It's just that three to five years isn't going to knock it out. Um, I'm in I'm in year 30 and I'm still learning and growing. <laughs> and by the way, people are still poor and immigrants still don't have status and the things that I've literally poured my yeah. life out in sacrifice on behalf of it is not, I'm not, we're not where we want to be. I, yeah. you know, I know we've made some ground, but we're not where we want to be. And so then the third question, like literally I wondered if everyone would drop the class after this question, because it was the sobering reality after you've been asked, what do you care about? How long are you going to work mm -hmm. at it? And then I said, do you know, who do you know that is directly impacted? I mean, like, it was like, okay, well now I'm, I'm broke, you know, like, what am I doing here? And, and that's the whole point is what you do is it, it's good. When I talked about lament, I'm not talking about tears of guilt. Hmm. We have to do the good work of our own guilt, our own shame, because we bring it with us everywhere, including in this work. And it makes us fragile and unable to connect. So that's a whole other podcast probably. And I'm not the expert like Brene Brown, but you know, I, I have yeah. seen how shame and guilt impact and negatively hmm. impact people. So that's one thing is deal with your stuff. But, but as you move to a closer place and you're seeing everything and you're here, or not everything, but seeing and hearing, you know, don't freak out you know, stay present and understand that the the power of lament and solidarity is what we really need. I have found myself saying this over and over again, as of late in the last couple of years, I don't, I don't want your sympathy. We don't need your sympathy. We need your solidarity. Hmm. And so that's, that's part of it. You know, we talked a little bit about that social media piece yeah. and Social media has a way of making you feel like you're at the front of the line, but I will promise you I'm at the front of the line and I, social media is not making a difference. Yeah. You know, it can, if you're doing the work, 
and you want to talk about it on social media in a way that doesn't center yourself, but centers the community and the work, you know, that is a good, that's good and helpful. It's good and helpful because it gets the attention of politicians who have the power to make change. Yeah. It's helpful because it can inspire people to join you. It's helpful because reporters are on Twitter, you know, like yeah. Twitter's a blood sport, um, you know, so, so it's not that social media can't have any impact. It's earned media can have impact. I mean, media has a role. So, and I'm a, I, I work in communications as well as that's an, and a part of the the work that I do is bringing personal convictions to a public place. And media is very powerful to yeah. be able to do that. This podcast, yeah. but it if that's the only place, that's not where the work is happening. That's commentating. Yeah. You know, we're into probably what week twelve of football season. I'd have to look at my fantasy football app. I, I want, you know, I don't like football. I don't care about football. <laughs> I'm not interested in football, but I have sons and I have a husband that are incredibly addicted to it, you know? And so if to survive and to swim in my household means either I'm going to not be a part of things yeah. or I'm going to have to get smart. So it was over 10 years ago that I got a fantasy football team. I'm a mathematician. That's where my, I got a bachelor's <laughs> in math. And so I have, you know, I know numbers. I know how to do statistics. I, other than my quarterback, I have literally no idea who's on my team and I'm actually doing pretty well because if you play the numbers, you know, it's just a, yeah, yeah. It's just a silly little game, but the amount of smack on the family WhatsApp, I mean, you would think that these people in my family birthed those babies or married those babies <laughs> and brought them to, I mean, like you would think they invested so much in, but guess what? We're doing nothing to help yeah. our team win on yeah. fantasy football. So social media has this way of revving you up and taking, you know, sort of getting that amygdala going and maybe even using a little bit of executive function, you know, like, but it's not the energy that's going to get us farther towards mm. the justice we all long for. Yeah. Because here's, that's the reality is we all feel the disconnect. We all feel the groaning and longing. And we have two responses for those of us in privilege. Everybody who else is directly impacted does not have this choice. This is what makes me a privileged person. I have the choice, one, to engage. Yeah. Or two, to just hope that Jesus comes back and he can fix it all. And I was a part of that. That was, you know, the, the upbringing of my life. You know, mm -hmm. how can we create a Christian bubble where we listen to all each other's songs and we do each other's Bible studies and everybody who sits around, you know, looks and we cheer if somebody who is a different, you know, race or culture walks in the door. But I mean, like I literally am creating my own education system mm -hmm. and I recognize that I'm the light of the world, but I'm hoarding the light. I'm hiding it under a bushel and I'm pray and I'm, and I'm doing that in a basement with my flashlights, my canned goods, and I'm waiting for the darkness to pass. Mm. We're heading into the Advent season. I don't know when this will release, but we're heading into the Advent yeah. season. And I think the church needs to relook at Matthew 24 and 25 because it is scathing. Christ is coming back and he has expectations and it's not for us to hide in a basement. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, you know, as as I'm hearing what's what we're doing is we're actually in solidarity with the people that we uh, want to be with, that we need to be in proximity, that we actually need to be close. Uh, it reminds me of, you know, as my wife and I got involved in, in refugee care uh, and we lived in the Middle East. So and we worked a lot with Syrian refugees. When we first started to engage refugees, we lived in the, the major city in our country and we would drive about 45 minutes an hour away and we would sit with refugees in the living room, we would do some different things. And it wasn't until we actually moved to that spot on the edge of a desert 
poor, ugly town that was actually very spiritually beautiful. It's probably the most spiritually beautiful place I've ever been, but the physically most ugly place that I've ever lived uh, and been. It was when they became friends and I knew their names. They knew us and that we actually had a reciprocal relationship where mm. if mm-hmm. I needed help, I would ask my friends who didn't come. They came to their country with absolutely nothing, with the clothes on their back and maybe a bag. And that's all that they had. And so they had great need. And I had a lot of privilege and power to say that, hey, we need help in this way where I could actually garner some help. I could get some money um, to be able to help and serve their needs. But that was not enough to serve in that community. I actually had to have them help me to engage in a way where I started to see them as real people, as friends, and not just as a project for me to engage mm. in and have fun mm. in um, and make me myself feel good about the mm-hmm. this so-called kingdom work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we get to that place where we're sitting in a living room with the pe- with people that are on the margins, but we go into a place in a way where they could help us. And I think even in your story, when you were 22, 23, you said that I wasn't able to to do much until I knew that, you know, that they actually showed me love. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we get to that place where we could see people as people and not mm-hmm. as projects? Oh my gosh, such a good question. So uh, some of the things that come to my mind is it can't be about us. You know, like I said, you can't fix a problem you don't understand. Like stop centering yourself in the story of injustice and, and really make sure that your ego, I mean, that's, so that's part of it. And I'm just like, this is not about performing and, and performative acts of compassion, you know, where we are getting and reciprocity of relationships is not what I mean when I say when we're like getting things from people to make our ego feel better. And that's, that's not the work of peacemaking. That's not being honest with what you see. I mean, that's just like, okay, well, let me just sort of run in or throw from a distance. So I teach another class at Denver seminary. I haven't been teaching political advocacy. I think it's been two years and they've changed a few things around and, and it's been absorbed into other classes, but I teach what's called social concerns and community development. And I always tell my students that social concerns only come from three streams. Now, as people are listening to this podcast, if you can find three other streams, you know, I'm open to learn. I mean, I want to learn. I'm a teacher. Like, I want to (laughs) learn. So you send it to me, but I've been, you know, thinking about this for a long time and done a lot of research. But the three streams are poverty, immigration, and racism. Poverty Mm. and immigration, you know, God says a lot about that specifically and how we're supposed to care for vulnerable people, widows, orphans, uh, the foreigner, the poor, and people are going to move. There's reasons people move, you know, and a lot of people don't want to move. So I'm not talking about, you know, ambition. I'm talking about running for your life and running for opportunity to keep eating. Yeah. So, so people are going to move and people are going to be poor. So how are we going to respond in, in a good way with that? Racism is actually a social construct. We humanity people, we built, you know, and we didn't just build it in the United States 400 years ago. I mean, we, it's, we have to deal with it. That's our, that's our kind of our, uh, 
our history and it's something that we have to be honest about and work, but this has been a global problem since the beginning of time when we were worried about who was going to be in charge and who was going to serve, you know, like back to that original sin. And I don't think it's just about men and women. Um, but anyway, just sort of the power, the power dynamics yeah. are, are really, you know, that, that's just the reality. And that's just the honesty, you know, that we need to, to, to face, but all to say that, you know, this, this shared solidarity doesn't just happen. And, mm-hmm. And it's not about performance. It's not about centering yourself. It's not about virtue signaling, you know, and I'll, I'll use a couple of illustrations and I talk about this in my book a lot. And that's the reason instead of it being like, I had a really cute trilogy, the power of proximity, <laughs> the power of resistance, the power of peacemaking, mm-hmm. but join the resistance came as a result of the George, the title um, the George Floyd protests when I saw yeah. a lot of people wanting to get in. I saw a lot of people wanting to get into the work in 2016 mm-hmm. as a result of some things that were happening in our politics. And then I saw another surge in 2020 around George Floyd. That's kind of the awareness when the yeah. intersectionality where things are happening all across different, you know, socioeconomic um, dynamics as well as racial and cultural, you know, when, when that intersectionally happens and we're all paying attention to the same thing, that's really powerful. And that's that awareness. So you're kind of asking, how do I get the longstanding relationships? Well, the reason I wrote join the resistance is because people were outraged and they were centering themselves. They were, you know, putting their black lives matter t-shirts on for the very first time that apparently they could buy on Amazon. Now that's not how it used to be. You know, I remember trying to find one years ago and I, a black leader gave it to me after I said, can I even wear it? You know, like, I don't even know because I'm always trying to learn. Anyway, you can get that on Amazon. And so you show up with your, you know, white body in marches with your outrage and your social media and your filming and who's the center and who are you performing mm. for? And is it, is it to virtue signal to other black people? Like I'm not as bad as other white people. Mm. Is it to put down and shame the other white people who won't do what you're doing? I mean, that isn't the work. Okay. That's yeah. not the solidarity. And so in, until you can decenter yourself and not make it about the things that you're achieving, you're not going to actually have real relationship. That's just true for everything. You know, that's just not how you build relationships. And this is not, it's just that the divides are bigger. And so we have to work really hard. Mm -hmm. So that social concerns and community development class, I use the metaphor of a tree. And so if you think about a tree and it's exposed roots, if you think about a community, a community that doesn't have access to sunlight because other trees have grown up and, and hides the sun, or it's super far from water and irrigation paths have been stopped so that the trees on the other sides, you know, can get better water. Um, if the soil, because nutrients have just not had the resources to put in the right pH balance, and then all the trauma, you know, of, yeah. of generations of oppression, you know, there's just blood in the soil. You know, mm-hmm. you you look at the tree and you're like, what's wrong with that tree? You know, why can't it be a good, healthy tree? You know, it's short, sort of shocking when you begin to realize why a tree isn't healthy and we need to ask those good questions. So I share all of that around performance because what happens in, from my opinion, and this is my opinion, yeah. I do have a couple de- a few decades, but it's still my opinion, is we look at the sick trees, 
not only do we blame them, but then we think, okay, well, I feel a little guilty that I have great things on my tree so much. So not only is my tree healthy, but I have taken my excess and I've adorned it. Like it's almost like the hunger games in the Capitol. Like I don't just want to have what I need. Now I put ridiculous things on my tree and I want you to have those ridiculous things too. And so I don't really want to get to know anything. I don't really want to hear anything. I'm going to take my stuff, not the stuff that I really like. I mean, just the stuff that's quite extra, or I'm going to go buy some stuff at a place that I would obviously never wear anything there, but you know, I mean, you guys will be fine because your tree's so sick and I'm going to throw it on your branches and I'm going to call it good. I'm going to, I'm going to look at those branches and say, you know, that's a sick tree, but boy, do I see some beautiful stuff on it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the stuff that I gave and I gave it from a distance and you know, it must, it must be well, it's good enough. And it's audacious because you really don't get to know the tree. And so that drawing in, so it's, it's just like, you have to under, have to ask yourselves, what are my motives? What is my heartfelt desire? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't be so arrogant to think that effort from a distance is going to be very helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, we really need to get to know and be intimate. And when you're there, because you care mm-hmm. about the tree and you care about its flourishing and you're not running around with like a staple gun and pretend fruit and just trying to, you know, staple fruit saying, oh yeah, so good. Our church is so awesome. But if we intimately recognize that, you know, the pastors there love their congregation and they've, you know, studied God's word and and they aren't less than, you know, and they're musicians. I mean, just even the way we do church, we just look down on the poor. We held contempt. We think we're better than. And and you've got to get rid of all of that. You're not going to just run into anywhere, but people come in and out all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so staying present is a long work. Like I said, it's those relationships back to that, my, that woman that did Bible studies, she was almost losing her faith because of some things that she had seen as a result of, you know, some things in 2016. And she said, she, I mean, she's like a pillar of faith, Yeah. but she just really spent two years, just, it's interesting, working for a person, a group that resettled refugees. And she said, I'm a speaker and a writer, and I didn't know the language. And Mm. she said, so it was so humbling and so good for my soul. I just picked up people and I took them to airports and bus stations and to grocery stores and to houses. And I couldn't talk. Mm. And I had to sit in the grief of our, our lack of connection and Mm. find different ways to connect. And I think I think that's a good story for all of us. This is not a fast work and it isn't about us. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me that, you know, it's really a Psalm 23 journey where we're going mm. from patchy grass into the valley of the shadow of death long term mm. back into greener pastures where we could actually see people go to still waters and mm. the health of the tree will start to to blossom and grow. And you're actually helping to cement them into greener pastures where the mm-hmm. water can actually uh, flourish the the tree instead of kill it. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that valley of the shadow of death is long, hard journey work that's not easy. Uh, it's difficult, but there is a table there, you know, that God sets mm-hmm. for us that we actually get to feast on. Uh, and that's in a, a place of Real, of death, of brokenness, of difficulty. But as we walk out of that th- with the Good Shepherd, um, we're going to see some some greener pasture. Um, so how do we stay in the, that long journey and we don't give up? Because I see a lot of people get really uh, excited about justice work and then they stop 
because it's too difficult. We've done this this little work at the beginning. Okay, I'm done. How do we stay in it for the long haul and do this hard work? Yeah. So, so I'm going to kind of go back to that rooted piece. Um, in my book, I talk about being rooted in love, rooted in joy, and rooted in in peace. And while that those three chapters aren't in the section that I talk about staying at the table and practicing the long work of resilience, I actually think that it still speaks to what we need to make sure that no matter what hits us above ground, we are are able to stand strong. So I'll bring up two passages, Isaiah 58 and Psalms 1. And I'll start with Isaiah 58 because it answers, you know, if we really just stay in Isaiah 58 for a little bit, you know, we all want to be repairs of the breach. We want to be known as repairs of the breach, known as people who like restore ancient ruins. And, you know, I, I don't, when you talked about the shadow, Valley of Shadow Death, I was actually thinking of the, the dry bones in Ezekiel yeah. and just how death and destruction and that, you know, speaking truth mm-hmm. to the bones and believing that God could do amazing things through the power of his spirit mm-hmm. is, is where I was kind of at when you were talking, but, but back to Isaiah you, 55. I want to just briefly just share a little story that I, I don't think I've shared on this podcast, but uh, because in the dry bones in Ezekiel, uh, while we were working with, with Syrian uh, refugees, uh, we had a friend who was teaching young, young children, Syrian children. They didn't have a, a school. Uh, so they were teaching and, and helping and they did a, a listening prayer exercise of asking, saying, okay, God, just show us something, what you have for us. And two girls in the class had the same vision, which were they saw a valley of bones mm. that started mm. to come to life, mm. that they would come mm. together, start to walk up, and then flesh came on them, muscle, flesh, and that there was brand new life that was coming and people were moving forward. Um, mm. And I just love that God is saying that to People mm-hmm. that don't have a home and a place and feel like they are in that valley uh, of dry bones, that there is li- he has life for them. He has new life. And so as you were sharing that, I just wanted to share that little story mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. God is the one speaking that to to mm-hmm. them. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that was beautiful. So continue. Yeah, no. Thank you. Well, yeah. And I, so just on the outline of this new book, Join the Resistance, I highlight a prophet in each one of the nine um, chapters and Ezekiel is chapter nine. Mm. And, and just the, the belief that ancient ruins can, or dry bones can, you know, come up. But I bring up Isaiah 58, because if you think about the book of Isaiah and just this theme of judgment and hope constantly, I mean, like it's exhausting <laughs> to, read, yeah. to read any of the prophets yep. is exhausting, but especially the book of Isaiah, I'm like, are we hopeful? Are we judgy? Are we judgy? Are we hopeful? You know, like it's, you know, just such a blend. But in the beginning of Isaiah, it's just this frustration about shallow acts of worship. And then when you get into Isaiah 58, it's not shallow acts of worship. And this is fasting. These are the people who are committed. Um, You know, like you're, you, you come to me, you do your songs, you meet and you fast, which is like almost nobody fasts. So, so you're the, but you're doing it to be performative. Mm. You're doing it yeah. in such a showy way. We see that with the Pharisees in the New mm-hmm. Testament, and Jesus rebukes them too. But, but just that's Isaiah. Like, you are in your worship should be a sacrifice, mm-hmm. and and your practice of worship should be a sacrifice, and it shouldn't be performative. This is the fast that I want to see. 
to loose the chains of injustice. And then you seek to care for the poor. And as you read Isaiah 58 and going in, is like, this is the fasting. And when you invest in this sacrificial, non-performative act of worship to be about the things that I care about with justice yeah. and righteousness, then maybe the light will break forth and then your prayers will be heard. And then the world will open up for you in ways that you didn't even know that you could tap in to the power of the kingdom and not just you, but the generations following you, you yeah. will be known for restoring and repairing repairs of the breach. Just like that's the vulnerable places that is like, so evil doesn't get in that we, we protect the walls from the outside, you know, forces of evil and power that would hurt. Um, you know, for me, I, I did not grow, you know, if we have this entire whole world of us, you know, that God loves and, there's areas of breach. I promise you, I did not grow up by the breaches. I, yeah. I grew up as far as away as the breaches. And not only was, were we concerned about the evil that might come through the breaches, mm. we made sure we had an interior wall because, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't use our resources to go repair somebody else's breaches. I mean, we have to protect yeah. ourselves, right? From them yeah. and from anybody who's coming in from the outside. So, so this is really powerful that when you don't work on protecting yourself mm -hmm. and that you, you know, really expend yourself and you hang out with people that scare you and they're just people, you know, and you do <laughs> things that, that are, you know, completely ridiculous, seem ridiculous and are so incredibly optional. Yeah. You will be known. And this isn't for the performative or the glorified. This is the community working together. And I think we see that with Nehemiah building a wall. I mean, this is a collective community work. And when you go in, I'm a, I'm a, child of the king yep. and I'm for one king and I'm for one kingdom, which means I'm not better than anybody else. I'm just want to join you as mm. you repair that breach. You will be known as not only repairs of the breach, but you will, you and your legacy behind you will be known as restorers of streets, mm. which represents commerce, like the flourishing of eco economics and, and connectivity. And you mm. will be known as restorers of dwellings where people live and get rest and eat food together. I mean, wow, what a legacy. That's supposed to be the legacy of the church. Stop yeah. performing for me. Stop showing up and singing your pithy songs and not really sacrifice. That's the beginning, Isaiah. And for those of you who are going a little step in and you're fasting, don't make it about you. And don't even just practice things that, that don't, you know, like I, I appreciate you denying your flesh, you know, the physical of food, but deny your flesh other things. Mm. You know, the deny your flesh, the the natural human response to close your eyes to the evil, to close your ears to the pain. Like don't deny yourself that natural mm -hmm. human response and, and do the work with me and join the people in the streets. And then you will be known. You will be heard. My prayer, your prayers will be heard. Mm -hmm. You will not be afraid. There will be no darkness. Light will become pouring in and, <laughs> and things will be restored. Mm. We we don't believe Isaiah 58. So so anyway, when we we've got it, we've got it, we've got to believe in that. And, and Jesus talks a lot about it in his parables. But but let's go again. Read Matthew 24 and 25. But then let's go to Psalms one because you asked me how do you stay into it? Yeah. And I think Isaiah 58 does say that's how you stay into it. He he says you make good on I will make good on the investment of you. Mm. And you, and Jesus again he you cannot read the the gospels and not see that constantly being told give up your life. You'll lose it, but you'll find it, you know, give up your, if these are not my family, these are my, you know, like mm. God is going to restore even to Joel, the, the years, the locusts of eating. I mean, tr Christ is always promising restoration, different, but promising restoration. Yeah. So that's why we're in the work because we serve the Lord. However, 
we stay in the work recognizing that roots keep us healthy and strong. And when we root down to the goodness of who Christ is and to the truth of his justice and his righteousness, we are strong. And we see that in Psalms one, this isn't just about staying away from evil people. This is like literally living a a life of complete and utter contrast uh, from the world in so that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to stay away from evil. I'm going to, you know, and I'm not saying staying away from darkness. That's different than evil, but I'm not going to participate in compromising activities, including the compromising activity that it's okay to allow injustice to happen or the compromising activities that say it's okay if I do well and you don't. I mean, that's what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about when I talk about wickedness. And so Mm -hmm. then you just see that if, if you stay close to the heart of God and you allow your roots to grow strong, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water. You will not wither. Your fruit will come in season. Like you will have everything you need. Again, we don't believe it. So we don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I actually believe that there is no, no lack in the kingdom of God, that we have everything that we need when we're rooted and we're rooted in the kingdom and rooted in our identity as a child of the king, like he said, and that there is that one kingdom, there's that one king, and that we are no better than everyone else. We're all children of the king. So that's one thing, is that identity. Um, and then since we're, we're no better, that we could actually start to engage. That's If we don't have that, that identity there, it's it is always going to turn into either performance or production or or something where you know the enemy tempts us at that all the time, um, and it'll be about us and it won't be about Jesus's uh, redemption and restoration of all things. Uh, so that identity piece, I think, what you said is so key and crucial uh, to be rooted uh, down deep into who he is. Um, it was so good. And I, I needed yeah, to hear that. Th- yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to talk too. It's going to be hard to end. <laughs> you know, some of the questions that we, we have to do a lot of internal work as we walk, not before we walk yeah. <laughs> because we'll never move. And we have to ask ourselves, why are we here? Who are we and why are we here? You know, my first book, I talk a bit about race and I remember, you know, this idea of us, doing such a different lifestyle and living in such a different um, community than the one that we brought up, were brought up in. And it seemed like everybody would say things like, but you're not black um, or people saying, well, you, but you're white as though, you know, that was the reason I shouldn't, shouldn't do things. Mm. And, and that so when I'm saying like, do that work, when I walk into a room and it's not unusual for me to be the only white person, I'm the only one who can't see my skin color. Right. Yeah. And it's a big deal. And so it's not just us. We have to, we have to figure out who we are. We cannot deny we need to do our own racial identity work. We need to, you know, figure out who we are, who we are in Christ. We need to, yeah, like I said, that's a really deep personal reflective work, but we can't stay there. You know, we need to ask, why are we here and why shouldn't we be here? Mm -hmm. You know, those are some really important questions, you know, for us to be asking, you know, this is not, we've been talking a lot about prophets and there's a, there's a couple of things. One is the bravest thing you can do as you step into new and unfamiliar places that are impacted by, especially those that are impacted by economic and racial injustice, the bravest thing you can do is to be humble. Mm. And 
and that's not kind of how we're often taught. It's almost like I got to sort of walk in with confidence. I got to yeah. own the room, you know, and don't do that. That's not your room. You're not supposed to ever own it. You yeah. know, so I, I love the prophet Micah. I appreciate, you know, and within the whole context of Micah six and it's, it, there's almost a funniness to Micah mm-hmm. six and just yeah. sort of what he's mocking, you know, like, what are you going to do for God? Like, give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, You can do everything and, and you're still not going to be enough, but, but he's shown you. And yeah. so, that scripture is used a lot in the mm. work of justice. And I wish, so it's, you know, you, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord yeah. requires, but to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly. And I really do not understand why Micah stopped, ended with humbly. And maybe it's because it was a book written to a marginalized people and I'm not marginalized, mm. but, but for me to hear do justice first, that's almost dangerous. Yeah. Um, I really probably should have started with walking humbly, loving mercy, and then joining in the work of justice, because that's the order that I would need to have even any integrity in the work. Hmm. I think the second, um, you know, piece is to not be afraid of the truth. That's also the humility of it. You know, that scripture that, that the truth is going to set us free. It will set us free, but it will cost us a lot. Yeah. And so we have to be willing to do that work. And, and so I, I, I share those couple of scriptures, but I want to share about another activist that you know, I have learned about through history. So my book talks about prophets. It talks about parables. It talks about my own story. And then I highlight activists all throughout history because they help give us a way forward. Like, I don't know what to do. Okay. Well, maybe I can learn from people who've gone before about their commitment, their resilience, their actual work, their role, Mm -hmm. you know, we learn, you know, throughout history. And so I really wanted it to be rooted in history. And of course I'm a worship leader. So, you know, I talk about songs and the struggle and and just the songs as resistance, but I want to bring up Lila Watson and she was a Aborigine Mm -hmm. and she was an activist. She was an artist. She was a strong, amazing woman who was leading her people um, towards justice and an opportunity and people wanted to join her and she recognized that, Mm. but she has this very famous quote that she's known for. And I think it helps us be sobered as Mm. we are for those of us from the outside, as we consider who are we and why are we here? Or why do we want to be there? And what do we, you know, what do we need to do, um, to get there is, and this is the way the quote goes, If you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. Mm. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up in mine, then let's work together. Mm. So often when you're Mm. in a new room, when you're in a new room, you're asked to introduce yourself. And a lot of times people will give a lot of the letters behind their names and all the different monikers. And I, I mean, I have plenty of those too. But usually when I walk into a room, it's not unusual for me because, again, I may be one of the few white people is, you know, my name and why I'm here. And I'm in the work because my liberation is bound to the liberation of my immigrant neighbors. That says Mm. everything to the room. Hmm. Hmm. So So we need to know who we are. Yeah, that's beautiful. I've. Two really quick questions uh, at the end, uh, and then we'll wrap up. But uh, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, uh, what mm-hmm. advice would you give? Be humble. Be humble. Sit at the feet of everything that seems scary. You're going to be okay. 
mm. you have what you need to make it. Yeah. Keep, keep, I guess not just humble, be humble, be brave enough to be humble, but be brave. <laughs> keep walking, keep walking. Mm. That's, that's great. Anything you've been reading or watching you could recommend to us or any, any good books uh, for, for us uh, white folks to be able to read from mm. a, a different perspective? Yeah. So, so I'm going to, of course, I wrote these books to white people because I'm white and I care about us and I have a very pastoral, you know, calling. And so the power of proximity, moving beyond awareness to action is a really important book and join the resistance, step into the good work of kingdom justice takes you right from chapter nine of the first book on. Um, And so be willing to, to even to pick up a book with the word resistance, pick it up. Um, you'll, you're not going to be disappointed. So I am going to promote my own books, which is a little <laughs> yeah. counter to who I am, but, I, but I, you said white people. And I just yeah. think that that's really where we need, you know, a book that I'm reading right now is called voices of lament. Mm-hmm. And my friend, Natasha Sinstruck Robinson, actually, she's written several books. The Sojourner's Truth is excellent. Um, but she put together a collection of, voices from around the world and all women of color and to hear their lament and it's around psalms 37 she's incredibly theological and i think um i'm just gonna say this is not some easy self-help book this is deep um and it is beautiful it's not just her voice but when you think of pain and injustice you have to understand who the mourners are and the mourners of women who have lost their husbands, lost their children. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded, I don't know if the, I'm still in the book right now, and I don't know if she talks about Exodus 1, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, when I think about the story of Exodus 1 and the powerful voices of women of lament, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you know, I know Moses, he's, he's amazing, and we're going we're gonna to give him all of his credit, but let's start with the Hebrew midwives. And let's start with the women who were giving birth, not knowing if a girl or a boy was coming to no fault of their own. I mean, these are women who is lamenting the mothers who cry out in pain when a boy is born, Mm -hmm. you know, the women who just, I mean, just the terror of carrying a child that you love and it getting ready to be murdered. And then you think of the Hebrew midwives who stood against Pharaoh, Mm -hmm. you know, who, who. They had their private basement meetings, like, what's our language? What are we going to say? And nobody broke the line of resistance. Mm. They're just like, Hebrew women give give birth too quickly. No, nobody's story was different. Every Hebrew midwife, this is what we're going to say. Mm. These are our talking points. We are going to stand against the oppressor. We will not murder baby boys, you know. And so, so you see this tremendous pain and grief of women. Mm and the voices of lament. And I believe that in their pain and, and following their journey, their wisdom that cries in the street, the, the mourning, this is, this is the deep, we, our, our response should come as a result of, it does, our response comes as a result of someone's grief. For yeah. those of us who are privileged, it's not our grief, it's our shared grief. And so where do we go? We go to the center of the pain. And I believe that voices of lament is a very powerful word because here's the thing about Exodus. It didn't stop with the Hebrew midwives and the Hebrew women who were grieving. It came to the redemption of the most powerful, privileged woman in that entire land. Because of the bravery and the resilience of women on the margins, Pharaoh's daughter is known throughout history, but she in her own personal life was liberated from all that her father did in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. And so I believe that the liberation and that bound upness comes from the shared lament. And I would say that 
That is a very powerful book. I'm using it for Advent this year, Voices of Lament. Another one is Bread for the Resistance. Uh, Donna Barber, it's also through InterVarsity Press, like my books. And Donna is a good friend. She's been in the work a long time. She's a Black woman from Philadelphia. She lives in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, she is a warrior. And she when, so when she writes a devotional on Bread for the Resistance, mm. it's coming from a person who's awfully hungry. Yeah. Um, and just really satisfied through, you know, the Lord and, and his, yeah, his sufficiency. Mm, thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah. So we, you could get uh, Join the Resistance or The Power of Proximity, uh, really through InterVarsity Press or anywhere that you could get books, um, Amazon or wherever you want to get books. And uh, so any, how could people connect with you or what you're doing? Anything else that you want to, to help people connect in with? Yeah, thank you, Joshua. So I think my website's just a great place to go um, for a couple of reasons. One, Power of Prox- well, you can get my book from Amazon University. That's not, I mean, you can get it hyperlinked from my website. But on my website, The Power of Proximity, you can see the free downloadable study guide. Mm. Books like this should, I mean, you can read it by yourself, but it's great to read it in groups. And so the study guide's there. The Join the Resistance has study guide and small group questions through in it intentionally, but it also has a Songs of Resistance playlist mm-hmm. that the book, the songs that I highlight as well, a few as a few I could not get in. So my website is michelleferignowarren.com and Ferrigno is it's like Lou Ferrigno, F-E-R-R-I-G-N-O. Um, but I think that that website is is good to not just learn a little bit more about me and those books, but have those two resources. And then finally, there's an engage section. So if you look at Join the Resistance, you'll see a lot of endorsements from people who are in justice work, mostly at the national level, some at the local level, and every single endorsement has a hyperlink to learn more about them. Hmm. And so one, I would encourage you to learn about my friends and um, fellow co-laborers in the work. And then secondly, I actually have a page called Engage, and it will hyperlink to national um, organizations that are community-driven and community-based. So there's a lot of good organizations that are doing work, but I really wanted it to be, if I'm going to send you somewhere, I want to send you to the organizations that are listening and centering the voices of the people from the community, and yeah. they're joining their work. And and so I would just encourage you to check out that. It's not an exhaustive list, but it'll get you going. Excellent. Well, Michelle, thank you so much uh, for this conversation. Thank you that you're helping us be able to figure out how do we actually join the resistance? How do we engage in the good work of kingdom justice? um, And how do we step in humbly in a way where we're actually not centering ourselves, that it's not about our production? It is not all about us, but it is about the liberation of of all of us um, Mm -hmm. so that we could actually enter in and see Jesus redeem and restore all things, and we could mm. see the reign and rule of God come to the streets, um, come to the margins, so that we could actually see people dancing in the streets. We could see rejoicing, and we could see joy, because there is liberation, and there is freedom, and there is Jesus in the center of it. So thank mm. you so much for this, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us 
produce more episodes so that we could see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show. And just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.